we're going to jump into this, and we're going to bring Aaron back up in just a minute, but let me set the stage for some of the things that we'll talk with Aaron about. This Advent series really comes out of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John tells the Christmas story different than anybody else does. It doesn't include the manger or the magi or any of that stuff. He tells it from a very cosmic perspective, and he does it very concisely, very thoughtfully, and he mentions the darkness and the light several times, the very first chapter of John. He says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Through this series, next few weeks leading up to Christmas and Christmas Eve, we just want to spend a little time thinking about light and darkness and their relationship. We want to grasp and understand exactly what is going on, not just in our own hearts and our own walk with God, but what's happening in the world at large and why John thinks that light and darkness matter much. If, if Advent is a journey from anything, it's from darkness to light. It's why we light these candles. It's why we have interpretive dance, whatever that was. It's, it's why I just love the Johnsons, don't you? In fact, show some love to the Johnsons, just let them know. If it's anything, it's from darkness to light, the Christmas season. And the relationship between darkness and light is complex, and we want you to spend some time through these weeks pondering your thoughts about this and why it matters to you, and maybe different preconceptions or maybe religious baggage you have about these things. And if you didn't grow up in church, maybe you don't have much baggage about all of that, but maybe you have some childhood perceptions about darkness, just a, a bit of a review. If you were here, it'll kind of remind you of some things we talked about last week, things that you were afraid of or grew up with an idea that the darkness was the place where bad things happen, nothing good happens after midnight, these kinds of things. Darkness and light form a theme all through Scripture. And if we misunderstand the nature of darkness, when we go through darkness, it can create distance between us and God. It's not what God intended. It's not what God wants. But this happens to us time and time again. And so most of us have this perception that darkness is a bad thing. It's a negative thing. That darkness is where evil lives. That darkness has nothing to do with God. That once we're following Jesus or once we've got our life straightened out or once we kind of get on the path, the narrow path that Jesus describes, that darkness won't be a part of our story anymore. And then life happens and darkness is a part of our story. And that darkness creeps in. It might creep in the same way our days are getting shorter. Some of us through the holiday season, we struggle with relationships with our family or maybe some issues that are unresolved or maybe it's just seasonal affective stuff because we're missing out some vitamin D and the UV stuff we normally get in the summer. All of these things represent literal but also metaphorical darkness that sneaks in. And when we encounter darkness, we often find ourselves in a place where we are distant from God or good things. We experience things like these. I've added a few from last week. And when we experience doubt or burnout, anxiety and loss and discouragement, we have this sense that God isn't really with us, that if he was with us, these things wouldn't happen to us. If he was fully present, things would be going better. If he was in the middle of it with us, then we would not be feeling the feelings that we are having. And these things, of course, make us feel a little less than blessed or that God is present. And so we feel distant from God. And it could be that you've experienced some of these things and you've thought, well, I've disappointed God. I mean, if somebody was really spiritual or really had things on track, they wouldn't be experiencing depression. Or they always tell me at church, I shouldn't worry. And so I know anxiety is just a part of my deal and it's just a part of how I feel often. And so these things often make us feel like that God isn't in the darkness, that he's not there. And when we need him most, we either distance ourselves or he just feels like he has distanced himself. But we want you to know through this series and through this Advent time is that God is always present in our darkness, that this idea of darkness isn't really something that should be embraced, or if it is something you've embraced, that you should lay it down and not pick it up again. It's religious baggage that you don't need to carry, that this isn't an idea that light is good and darkness is bad. That's not what Scripture says at all. 
this isn't true that this is to be embraced and this is to be shunned, or this is where good stuff lives and this is where evil happens. None of that's true, and Scripture doesn't teach that at all. Of course, Scripture says that in God there is no darkness, and in Him He is all light, but that doesn't mean that your life won't include darkness or that God isn't present when dark times come. In fact, we used the prophet Isaiah, who tells us about the people who walked in darkness and the light that would be coming, prophesied about Jesus. He also says this, and I will give you, what does it say? Treasures hidden. Where are they hidden? In the darkness. Secret riches. And why? Why does he do that? Why does God hide treasures in dark times? During times that you think, you know what, if God were in charge, surely this wouldn't have happened. I would still have my job or she wouldn't have died or something. Why does God hide treasures in dark times? He says, I will do this so that you may know that I am the Lord, even in our darkness. The God of Israel, the one who calls you by what? He knows you. And he knows what you've been through. And he knows how distant you felt. And he knows that you don't even, at times, believe he's part of this whole equation. He knows all of this, even in our darkness. And so with this in mind, we want to invite Aaron back up. I know you know his music, but I want you to get to know him a little bit in a different way. So Aaron, come on up and join me right up here. Welcome Aaron back up to the stage. So Aaron, we're glad you're here. We're thrilled that you made the journey all the way from Belfast. It's a very different world, and so we want to catch some of that. We know you, but we also know that the Boyd crew is bigger than just Aaron. Tell us a little bit about your family. So I, I do always say, and I joke, but I, I think I really do mean it. Uh, I live in the center of the universe, um, Belfast, Northern Ireland. When the Lord comes back, he's coming there first. He's going to get his own people. Um, I am married to Jill. <laughs> You're all laughing, but it's the truth, I'm telling you. It says it in Isaiah, the next chapter. It says, I've hidden treasures in Belfast. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, I'm married to Jill. Um, we met at school and uh, got married 23. Had her first kid when we were 25. Um, and she's called Lily. And a bit after that, had another girl, and she's called Josie. And then a couple of years after that, had our third girl. So um, outnumbered four to one, and uh, she is called Heidi. She's the craziest eight-year-old ever. And uh, never a dull moment. And then the house that's joined on to us, number eight. I'm number 10, right, in the ghetto, right? Consbrook, East Belfast, massive, right? Number eight. They have four girls and one guy as well. So we're me and Mark, my next-door neighbor, are outnumbered uh, eight to two. It's brilliant. It's class. Girls rock. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> so this is, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, this is your first international trip since the lockdown. Well, I actually got to go to Canada. Oh, that um, doesn't count. That doesn't really count, yeah. 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 Hey, I would have boat there in Canada, eh? Well, Parms pa, pa, from Canada. Anyone ever been to Newfoundland? Yeah, maybe. Were you nope. lost? Were you? <laughs> <laughs> lost. Anyone been to Ireland? See, look at that. Yeah. Center of the universe. I'm just saying. Anyway, yeah. So I got to go to Canada, but that was it. Yeah, I came home from Oklahoma in March, and that was it. Just unemployed, everything. And uh, I've been a part-time delivery driver for a pharmacy. So I, I used to sell drugs when I was younger. They were the illegal ones. Now I deliver uh, <laughs> legal ones. So God's good. It's redemption, folks. Redemption. <laughs> and so Aaron that was locked down. He's back home for you know, a year and a half, a little longer. Uh, except for one little trip, I suppose. And, and when he came back this time, friends in Michigan said, well, first of all, you're talking faster than you normally do. So he picked that up back in Belfast. He's being locked down. He got all Belfasty, and And his accent got even thicker. Got and thicker, so, yeah. So we, we've told him, you, you know, talk a little slower and, uh, and, and enunciate, I think, is, is what... Well, that's a good word. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it means, but it's nice. Me neither. <laughs> So he, he would, it. at the concert last night, he told a few stories, and, and I thought, I don't know what he said. I'm pretty sure it's hilarious, and I was laughing, but I had no idea what he said. And so if you find yourself that way, it's just like me working with Josh Parmeter. He has some newfie sayings that I don't know what they mean, and so he takes some time to explain what these Belfast sayings mean. He started the concert last night with, uh, what was the statement? Yeah, what's the crack? 
What's the crack? And it, so but you, it's spelled C R A I C. Yeah. And that's like, yo, dude, man, what's up? Huh? What's up? It's not drug related. It's got nothing to do with drugs, no. Okay, got it. And for some reason, I don't know why, but the response is the crack's 90, as in the number 88, 89, 90. I don't know what happens if you get 91 or is it 88 or whatever, but the crack's. Actually, it's just singing the accents. So the first time I met the Newfie boys, um, there's the guy that used to play with uh, with Josh and his band, um, Dion. He has the th like his his accent's way thicker, and my wife she preaches right. She always jokes and she says, "When I get to sing, at least I have subtitles, right? I need the words, right, come up on the screen." So she preaches, and then but the first time she met Dion, the bass player, she just looked at him and was like. Is this guy actually real? Is this guy a real person? Because he sounded like a pirate. So he did. She was just like, she just looked at him, you know, and we've got a crazy accent, but she was just like, oh my goodness, what is, who are, what are you? You know, it's like, so yeah, good times. I love it. You have an accent, not me. Yes, sir. Yeah. I know, I know. Southern, Southern Ireland is my accent. So oh, let's go. So if, if we were to get a, a, a view of life in the Boyd household, yes. what would be the things that characterize your family culture. What, what's your family like? And, and tell me about your interactions with the girls and how you and Jill parent and love on the Boyd clan. Oh, that's a good, that's different from first service now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can I have 30 seconds? You can talk amongst yourselves for a bit, no? <laughs> so we, part of probably our culture, uh, not even culture, but like we do really good with change. That's always been something that um, Jill and I, I suppose, have always um, done quite well with, and we we don't get afraid of like even what happened in March. Like you know, I I come home and and the, the music thing is it's been a real blessing that we've been able to do this. I class myself as a musicianary. All right, so um, I, I I just love that. I, I feel like it kind of encapsulates the whole thing. Um, but it's not like we're absolutely loaded and you know whatever. It's like we kind of live still moth to moth in the whole thing. And so what normal people would maybe kind of be overridden with of some sense of fear. I feel like. We have seen the faithfulness of God the whole way through our lives. Um, so whenever like Lily was born and there was this thing of music, I was a window cleaner and I also used to run like an outdoor store in the middle of Belfast. And we felt like at that moment, it was like it was time to go. It was seven years there. But Lily was being born and, and then I kind of came out of that. And then Jill's self-employed at that point as a dental hygienist. So we went from like two salaries to absolutely nothing, you know, the state, 100 bucks a week, that was it kind of thing. But we, we really enjoy the adventure of it and, and genuinely believe in that, you know, God is our source. It's not this or this or this, but God's our source and he chooses different ways in order to provide. And so we've seen absolute blessing in the middle of that and the flip-flop of me working and then at a period of time, me actually being a stay-at-home dad with the kids because I could maybe afford a bit more time in this whole kind of music thing and so on. So we've journeyed that out. So in some Something like March comes by where it's like you lose everything. It's all gone. Everything's stopped. Um, we were kind of like, oh, this is going to be really fun. Like genuine. I'm not just making that up. It's going to be really fun. And there's times that you're sitting there and it's like, we have absolutely nothing. I don't know where the next thing is coming from. You get three afternoons a week driving around, delivering drugs. And, uh, and Mr. God just pulls through every single time. And so that has been, as a family, we do really well with change. And, uh, and the girls, they, they just embrace it. They really do. Uh, I always wanted my girls to grow up to be able to interact well with adults. I was always, or I don't know if this is maybe going to answer your question, but so Lily, 15 years old, just had her first sort of love interest, right? I started to sweat now. I was freaking out. I was losing my mind. And uh, she, she went and like met parents and it's just a wider circle. They're just friends. That's really all. And uh, so she's, uh, you know, as friends are all kind of hanging out and she's in his parents' house, right? And uh, getting on well, interacting. And then um, he kind of came to our neck of the woods and he wouldn't come into the house. So she thought this was really strange. So she got rid of him. <laughs> I was like, yes, I've passed. It was like, let's go. Do you know what I mean? So I've instilled something where it's like, please interact well with adults. Look them in the eye. Have a great conversation, you know. And uh, so that's always been something that I've really appreciated in our girls. And uh, if Heidi was here, she's nuts. Like, she is genuinely nuts. But I love her to bits. It's great. So, yeah. It's never a dull moment. Never, never a, dull a dull moment. moment. No, for so sure. In worship circles, Aaron Boyd's name is very well known. Uh, he... 
many years ago, wrote a song uh, entitled God of the City. Uh, Chris Tomlin, whose name you probably are familiar with, picked it up and um, became very well known in the States and, and uh, took out some of the best lines of it. But nonetheless, Aaron's lines, of course, ring true. And we sing it here. We sing all of the lyrics well, that you wrote. Go. That's let's right. Let's go. at high five you right now. And so Aaron... Aaron went from just a gentleman from Belfast and worship leader and songwriter to being internationally known because of this byline and this, the, how well-known this song became. Um, what did that do to your understanding of success, how you see the role that you play, and you spend a lot of time on a stage? What's that do to your heart? Uh, it, it really was. So my church, uh, just to kind of perspective like so Strandtown Christian Fellowship Church um we're there's no real mega mega churches but ours probably would have been like one of the bigger ones uh, on the whole island so I know maybe at that time 1500 okay across three services and just a couple of a couple of different sites mad raven charismatics right it's the place where I, I said last night you know the song like these are the days of Elijah declaring the word behold he comes right and so people with flags just people people genuinely Stephen all doing the prophetic dancing I mean see if you're leading worship and the dancers come out you know you've hit the spot right it's like right there so it was just that's where we were kind of coming from and then Chris Tomlin starts singing this song I'm running around the wind as a window cleaner, just washing windows in Belfast. And then all of a sudden, it was like, people are just like, who are you? And you start to get these emails and could you come and do this or whatever? And I was like, what? So we ended up, I'd said to my guys, it was like, boys, we're going to America, free food and uh, festivals and uh, <laughs> let's go. So that was honestly the start of it. It was this great adventure. There's no contemporary Christian music world. Like, that doesn't happen. There's no industry. There's no business. There's no nothing, right? And so I end up on some of these. And that was kind of, a lot of festivals have died off now. But that was kind of like, almost like the end of the heyday of festivals, you know. And you're sitting playing, and there's only 45,000 people. Do you know what I mean? It was like, it's crazy, absolutely crazy. But I really struggled with kind of like finding our place. Because Sundays at church, Sunday night, youth young adults, home groups or whatever like that, I strummed a chord and everyone, you know, everyone just knew exactly what was going on and I have a lot of great people around that I kind of looked up to and learned from and, and, and watched in all of that. And then you come to the States and this band has like a drum kit that spins upside down and, you know, all this and pyrotechnics and all this stuff. And I have one song that some other guy sang, not even me, do you know what I mean, right? <laughs> and then I just sang Matt Redman songs, that's all it was, right? So that's, we, we just kind of went on that adventure, but my friend said to me, uh, he says, Aaron, uh, you get booked for what you do, and that always really stuck with me, and I remember at these festivals then was just really trying to go, okay, God, I have this platform, a physical one, and I also have relationships, um, so I want to help people meet Jesus, and we want to also then be, in Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. there's this great picture where it says, for God looks around for someone who would breach the gap. And then after the whole God of the city thing, I came home and it was absolutely transformed, genuinely. It was like, I have to do something to stop kids being raped and abused across the world. You cannot see that and not do something about it. And so I wanted to be someone that stood in the gap between my world and these kids' world that don't have any hope. And because of where they're born, it's just an atrocity for them. So that's what we got to do in at festivals. And all we got to pray for people and, and actually pray on stage. And the sad thing is... There's times where we were told that we were the first and one of the only people that have ever done that on these stages. And I was like, God, what is this? And so we navigated our journey in the middle of it. And, and then you have to go, like, what is success? So is success looking like, I said this in the first, is it like you two? Is that success? Is Coldplay success? Is Tomlin, you know, or for king and country, being able to sell out? And they're all great things or whatever. Selling out arenas. Is that success? Because if that's success, then... There's a lot of people that aren't successful in that sense. So for us as a family, it was, can we have deep-rooted relationships with the people that we do this with? Can we have these people that we journey life with, even though they're across the pond? And that's been the hardest part of lockdown. It's just like literally having your friends, Zoom and all that stuff. It's 
good crack, but it's rubbish at the same time. You know what I mean? There's something about just eyeballing people and we're built to be in community with each other. And so being able to like hang out with the likes of the Parms and the Haver Deadlies, you know, it's like that's super, super important to us. And um, we had that just ripped away from us. Um, so relationship is really, really, really important and that's success for us as a family. And then the other is, can we please try and figure out a way to, to negotiate and model what a really healthy, great relationship looks like between our family in terms of like worship and justice and then an NGO that's that's actually on the ground doing that. And, um, and we find that with World Orphans. They genuinely are family and uh, it means a lot. So I'm going to keep going. This has been an emotional trip because it's like, holy smokes, I get to see all of these great people all over again. So it's just, uh, it's, been, it's been brilliant. So that's success for us, you know. Can I be doing this with you and with Parms in 40 years? Well, I hope that's, so. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's success. So darkness yeah. that uh, is, is referenced in Isaiah and John 1, it, God of this city was written in the context of, of darkness. It was actually, the, the initial lyrics were formed in, in Thailand, in the, in, a brothel. in the neighborhood of a brothel. Tell us a little bit about the darkness that exists there and, and what that did to your heart. Yeah, so it's, uh, it was the first time I'd ever really been in, like, I'd been in Europe, uh, I never went to college. I just went like climbing around the Alps. And so it'd been all kind of around Europe, France, Spain, all that kind of stuff. So culture-wise, still sort of half the same, right? But you get off in Thailand, it's completely different in Bangkok. And then we end up in this place called Pattaya, P-A-T-T-A-Y-A. And it's a small coastal town and the entire industry there is prostitution, okay? And uh, that town grew up sort of during the Vietnam War where troops ended up going there for R&R and so the British and the Americans this they kind of they kind of created this whole thing so when lust and poverty meets then this industry explodes and uh, prostitution's illegal but a lot of police officers and stuff they own all of these bars and they're, they're up to their necks in it um, and so we were on this street called Walking Street, and there was like a 24-hour worship thing going on, and the girls would go and work with or different organizations that, you know, help out in the city, and uh, and then our job was to just go and, we were leading worship in different places, going into schools and playing there, and it was brilliant, but we had a couple of nights off, and um, I said to my worship pastor, it was, or my missions pastor, can you get us somewhere else, and so he spoke to someone who knew someone who knew someone else and lo and behold we got to play in this street called Walking Street and it's just it's a pedestrian area about a kilometer long just full of all of these bars and all of those bars essentially by UN definition are all brothels or places where you purchase sex right it's not like old school you know upstairs and there's ragtime music playing and all this kind of stuff you know it's like you just go in um, people would move there thinking that they find love but when the money runs out then the girls go back okay and uh, it's the end of the line for them they maybe have been trafficked in the child sex exploitation world and they've been moved around different countries and then ultimately they end up being here and it's kind of like the end of the road for them and uh, you see them and they're all smiling at you and they're absolutely gorgeous but it's all about business it's all about dollar it's all about you know trying to make money and uh, we got to play in this place called the Climax Bar and it was for two hours and uh, genuinely I never thought that would happen, it was amazing and uh, I, I said last night, I knew about four songs but CFC, we could make those four songs last for two hours so you're good to go and uh, we just started worshipping in the middle of that place and I had these questions, this is the thing, I was rooming with my great buddy from back home, PDK and uh, he's called Pete Kernan. And we're having these conversations where you're looking at this stuff, you're getting angry, and you're going like, like, where is God in the middle of this? Like, you know, they, they hold their king and all this esteem, but yet he lets all of this stuff happen, you know, and you're not allowed to talk bad about him, and you'll get put in jail, but yet you're more than happy to have all of this abuse going in your kingdom, you know, and it was just like, so we were having all of these conversations, and this kind of the sense of like this prophetic now word just came out in the middle of it, where it was like, actually, no, God, you're the God of this city, and the challenge in the middle of this is that he's placed his hope inside each and every one of us. Like, I can go and stand on a mountaintop and overlook Belfast and be like, God, come and change this city. But I'm kind of saying, like, this city's not changed because it's your fault. When he's went, I came in the person of Jesus, left, give you my Holy Spirit. Now you go and do something about it. You know, and that's, that's way different, you know. And so I think the challenge in that song is that we're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're called to be light in the darkness in, uh, in whatever way that looks. And so that song was, was birthed there. And then really quickly, um, I, I shared this last night, uh, a bunch of years later, one of the staff members from World Orphans 
with one of the board members who's now on the, uh, on the board from World Orphans, a guy called Aaron Pegg. Aaron and Mike and this other guy, they walked down Patia, the same street. They've seen the same things. They may have been staying in the same hotel. I don't know. And they're sitting on the balcony. And Aaron Pegg, the, the guy that's on the board of directors, um, he starts to play me singing God of the City over that city. They hadn't a clue that it was written in the same street. They hadn't a clue anything about the story. They come back to the States, hear the story, and then it just so happens that I was in northern Michigan, played on a festival where World Orphans had their experience tent set up. We got talking. I ended up then a couple of bits, uh, months afterwards being here. We met in uh, Pinar Bread in Castle Rock, and it was like, how do we do this? And I said, well, I'll lead worship. You tell people about what's going on on the ground and what the church is doing and ask a load of people for money. And, uh, and that's what we've been doing for about eight years or whatever. So it's been great. And that's how our world's in. You know, and Mr. God always writes the greatest stories. He always does. And uh, yeah, it's never, never, never a dull moment. For sure. We want our world to be expanded the way you're doing it for us today. It's why we feed the hungry outside of our four walls. Here at the church, we know that there are needs right outside the door. We know that there are needs and that the world is a large place, uh, but many of us haven't been to Thailand to see what you've seen firsthand. Your heart is moved in a place like that because of God moving in you years and years. Um, you didn't have to see darkness in another country. You saw it in your own family. Uh, talk a little bit about the darkness or the hard times that the Boyd family has been through. Yeah. So when Lily was born, it's like your first kid, obviously, it's crazy and hats off to him. And that's, that's some experience. Holy smokes. I delivered my third one. That's, now, that was a lot of fun. Okay. But so when, when Lily was born, um, she, you know, like babies drop weight and then they go back up again. Well, she just kept dropping more and more and more and more weight. And lo and behold, one of our friends who's actually was the midwife, she had seen this other kid just a bit before being diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. And when she seen this in Lily, she picked this up really, really fast. And Lily became the youngest baby in Northern Ireland ever to be diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. And I hadn't a clue what it was. You know, I was just like, all right, so what is this? Is it, I was thinking the same ideas like spina bifida or something like that. I didn't know what it was, hadn't a clue. And so when they start to tell you, you know, but it's really great now, you know, treatment and all this kind of stuff, physiotherapy, you know, they, they live into their 30s now and this kind of stuff. And I was like, uh, I don't, is that good news? You know, I, so I, it sounds really cocky, but I was kind of that kid that was mildly blessed. You kind of, when you get to do something, you can just sort of do it, you know, like rugby or music or whatever, right? You could just do it. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't fix this. Right? Everything else in life I could put my hands to and be okay at, but I couldn't fix the, the genetic DNA makeup of my kid and stop her having cystic fibrosis. I could only do the physio three times a day and give her, her tablets and all of her meds and all of this stuff. And, uh, and that was the start of just this journey of kind of really digging in. And um, I think in our world, you know, Jill and I always talk about you, you're either probably one of two people. You either run to the word and the father, or you just run away. You go, this is too hard. I can't reconcile this. I can't, you know, figure this out. And we're definitely people that run to, and it's like, okay, God, where are you in the midst of this? In the same way with like Patia, like where are you in the midst of all of that? And where are you in the midst of this journey with us? And we have honestly found deep-rooted peace and joy in the midst of all of the brokenness, like me, Honestly, at times, in an absolute mess, just crying out to the Lord saying, I do not want my kid to have this. I don't know the answers, but I just know, and I'm still holding on to the fact that you're faithful in the middle of all of this, and you're always with me, and that your truth is greater than my circumstances, and I'm going to hold on to that. And honestly, that is something that has just carried us through in all of these things. And we've seen breakthroughs and we've seen miracles and we're still going to believe for those genetics to change, you know. And she's been given this new drug, this this, this triple therapy thing. It's called Trichafta. Uh, or, and um, she, her lung functions would have always been kind of like mid-60s, high-60s. And three days later, she blew 103. Like that has never happened. And she's consistently been super high 90s, basically doesn't need to do physio anymore. She's just going to be a normal kid. Away you go, you know, and still takes a couple of inhalers and takes some drugs to kind of break down fat and stuff. But, you know, we're seeing breakthrough in that and that's amazing. And we're so thankful for the medical world. But I want, you know, we're still wrestle with that now and then not yet. We want to see that 
full healing, that full restoration. Um, and uh, so that's, that's kind of been uh, that's the biggest journey in, in our, and that's the song Jericho. That's where that comes from. She, we were in a park with uh, another family, it was our, wishing, our, our worship pastor, the Griffiths. And, uh, and then another friend was over from the States and uh, she had these two uh, bacteria in her lungs that are pretty bad. And I actually got them from the States. Boo. Um, Pseudomonas and this other one called Burkholderia. And it's really, really hard. So they want to make sure they kept Lily away from any other kid that has CF because you obviously don't want them getting, you know, these, these bacterias. And, uh, and so they, you're always used to swapping up antibiotics and changing those things. And uh, so she was on eight weeks and uh, so our eight weeks were up. Then they do a swab, and we're waiting on the results. And the phone goes, and uh, it, Jill takes it, and it's like, yeah, it's clear. You're good to go. No sweat. So we were just like, let's go. Like, this is actually gone. So we're like, yeah, Jesus, you rock. You're the best. Yeah. And Lily skips off, you know, we skitty legs. Woo-woo. You know, Jesus rocks. And then we get the phone call again. It's like, yo, here, we're really sorry. We got that completely wrong. It's massively increased, and it's there, and you have to come in the hospital straight away. So I was like, yeah, God, you're not even real. You know what I mean? It was just like, <laughs> it's like I'm going to be a Buddhist or something. You know what I mean? It was just like, I don't know, what's actually going to happen in here? So I was here, and then the next minute, you're here. Um, but in the middle of that journey, then we, uh, it was a Wednesday, that Wednesday night, um, Jill started a women's Bible study in our house, and I normally would go off and do something half manly because there's even more women. You know, I'd get in a fight or something like that, I'd go to a bar fight or something, you know, or whatever. <laughs> uh, so I actually went to my worship pastor's house, and uh, this other guy was there. And the three of us are just having this conversation. And it was like, I was an absolute mess, just a giant walking snot. And uh, my worship pastor, his, uh, his sister had half of her brain removed to stop seizures. Um, but then that didn't even happen, and they kept on going. And he was like, boy, OG, have you got questions? I was like, man, I have so many questions for the Lord. And um, we ultimately landed at this place. You know, it's like one day. I'm going to stand before him. I think everything's just going to make sense. And that's not like, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card in that sense. You know, it's like he loves all of the questions. He invites all of your doubt, your, all of this stuff. He's not afraid of that at all. And if anyone tells you anything different, they are lying and get rid of them. <laughs> you know, it's, he's more than happy with all of these questions. And that became the first line in the song, you know, to all our questions, there will be an answer. And uh, we've all got these big, scary Jerichos and we're all lapping and we're all daring and waiting to see when the walls are going to come down, you know. And, uh, and every lap, uh, my prayer in our, in our family is that we're one step closer to that full healing, that full breakthrough. Um, but in light of eternity, man, you know, it's like one day the Lord's coming back. And eternity is not even a long time. It's outside of time. So it's not even like, you know, a long period. It's so outside of time. It's just going to be absolutely amazing. And until then, the Bible says that we'll struggle on with the energy that he so fervently gives us, empowers us, you know, in our weakness. And, uh, and that's, I think that brings peace and deep-rooted joy, uh, not this momentary happiness. You know, Lily at that time was like this momentary happiness. And then the next minute I crashed and burned. But in the midst of all of that, because I feel like as a family where people that run to, there is this deep-rooted peace and joy that rests in the kingdom. And, uh, and it has to work, doesn't it? It has to work. I always like the, the phrase, you know, on a rainy Wednesday in Belfast, on a Wednesday morning, you know, this kingdom has to look like something. It really does. And I, I challenge you, you know, it's like, what's it look like in your life? You know, we talk about that line in God of the City where glory shines. You know, we get the Old Testament stories, class, pillars of fire and smoke and all this really cool stuff, you know, coming down and just smashing like, you know, sacrifices, Elijah, all that good stuff. What's the glory of God look like in my life, your life? on a Wednesday morning when it's pitch black in the middle of February and it's like, oh, jeepers, here we go again, you know, and it's like you're half depressed and you don't want to walk out the front door. It's like the glory of God, this, this word glory, it's doxa, D-O-X-A, it's in the Greek. It just means his view or his opinion. And so you just pause and just go, well, God, what's your opinion on my circumstance right now? And let's see that truth work out. And let's dare to believe and see that, you know, work out and reveal. Maybe it's healing, maybe it's provision, maybe it's relationships that are like, what is your view your opinion on this, and I want to see that work out in the midst of that, and that's the glory of God, you know, and man, it'd be great if I could float down the stairs on a cloud of Shekinah glory, but that doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, so, yeah. I'm so grateful. For I hope that makes sense, story. does that make sense? Are you okay? grateful for Aaron yeah. sharing his story? I appreciate yeah. it, thanks so much, folks.
Well, Aaron, I'm so glad you're here and that we could hang out. And, you know, we get a chance to understand your lyrics and hear a few of your stories that are uh, really some of the ways that some of the songs that were born came together. But we, I want the church and those watching online to get to know a little bit different slice of you. So do me a favor. Uh, you, we, we get to see you all the time. You know, it, it hadn't been all the time. Two years, we've missed you. Um, but Aaron, you've got a whole family. Give us the, uh, the, the, the 411. Give us the details on your family. Who, who's all a part of the Boyd clan? All right. So uh, I live in East Belfast, which is the center of the universe. Amen. Yeah, we're all in agreement. Um, and uh, I'm married to Jill. Uh, we met at school, uh, started dating, got engaged. We were 23, got married when we were 23. Got married when we were 23, sorry. And had our first kid when we were 25, Lily. Then a couple of years later, had Josie. And, uh, and then a few years after that, we have another girl, which she's called Heidi. So three girls, almost. Lily will be 27th of December. She'll be 16. Then Josie's 14. And Heidi is the craziest eight-year-old ever. So three girls and my wife. And then my next-door neighbors have three girls as well. So they're literally joined on. So it's just like girl fest everywhere. It's, a, it's unbelievable. So girls rock. Let's go. That's good. That's good. <laughs> and yeah. so as we were getting ready to do this today, I, I, I told Aaron, we've been chatting, so I've spent a little time together. I told Aaron, you, you've got you've to slow down. You, so during the pandemic, yeah. he came back over to the States, you know, after his, his hiatus of travel, he'd been in Belfast for so long, and his friends in Michigan said, your accent is so much thicker than it was two years ago, and you're, you're talking so much faster than you used to. And so I told him this morning, I, I want to laugh when you talk, because I'm pretty sure it was funny, but I have no idea what you said. <laughs> <laughs> See, I live, I live in the ghetto, so it's like, it's full on, it's really full on. And uh, I, whenever, I, like Jill is over here preaching, my wife's a preacher, she, she, she does all that, she loves it. And uh, she says, Aaron, at least Aaron gets subtitles, you know, because you throw the words up on the screen. So she has to speak. So I'm consciously trying to slow down and, uh, and not talk super fast. In fact, when I met Parm for the first time, us and the Newfies, it just felt like I was in the south of Ireland. Because the boys all talk like that there. And, oh, where's you going up now to once? And it's just like, yes, I get you. Everyone else is like looking like, what is happening here, you know? Is he speaking Spanish or speaking in tongues? You know, interpretation, Lord, let's go, you know? So, yeah, so I'm trying to slow down, um, but I don't have an accent. You all have a funny accent, so. Oh, I, that's so true, and, I, and I'd rather <laughs> listen to him talk than me any day. I sound like a su Southern Ireland hick, and you, it's, it's just like music to our ears. When I hear you, Pastor Phil, I just think of that Stephen Curtis Chapman song, well, settle up your horses, you know? <laughs> Yeah, me too, me too. No, I don't. So, all right, uh, okay, give, yeah, us, give us a thumbnail sketch of how you came to know Jesus and, and why you do what you do. Yeah, so I brought up in a really strict church, um, absolutely hated it, uh, but just went to church because I was absolutely petrified of my dad and he would like beat me to death if I didn't go. Um, but I, yeah, you know, I had a really great upbringing as a kid, but went to one of these really strict churches where drums were of the devil. And, uh, and I was like, ooh, that sounds fun. And, uh, you know, because they created tribal drum beats which invoked evil spirits, right? That's what they taught. And, uh, but I just went there every week, had absolutely no faith. Uh, I just found some joy in uh, reading Revelation because it just sounded really fun. Um, and that was it. And then ultimately I, I got saved. I'm not going there, but it's a pretty cool story. I got saved when I was about uh, 17 and a half, 18 years old. Kind of my last year at school and it literally all changed. So in Belfast, it's kind of, it's easy to get into a bunch of stuff. You know, you can get into drugs and rioting and uh, the whole kind of political climate. It's, it's all kind of a bit weird and nuanced. Um, so you're kind of up to your neck in that. Um, I never signed up to any paramilitaries or any that kind of stuff, but people all around you, you kind of were always uh, involved in it. Um, and if you ever come to Northern Ireland, you'll see how sort of crazily complex the whole thing is um, within a very small, dense space. Um, but I ended up giving my life to the Lord, and literally it was like lighting touch paper. And it was just something was ignited inside of me. And uh, I feel like in our world, in, in my relationship with Jill, her sort of greatest sin was like not going to the 14th church service in the week. Do you know that kind of thing? You know, she, her parents, she was brought up in a really crazy area as well. Her parents didn't really do the church thing, but 
they definitely sent her to every church. So she was a member of about 15 churches. And uh, so you have that. And then you have that verse that he's been forgiven much, loves much. And he's been forgiven little, loves little. And I kind of feel like I have experienced absolute massive forgiveness in my life. I know how much of a scumbag I could be outside of the kingdom. And so um, I'm truly thankful for the, just essentially the work of Christ in my life, in that, what I've been redeemed from. And, uh, and hopefully stay away from. So, yeah, that's kind of, I, I could go into the story, but I'll not. Um, it, was, it was really cool. I ended up going out this double wide in the back of this farmer's field, and it was brilliant, yeah. I'd so. like to hear the story, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. so, I'll, I'll, go to, I'll go to the snapshot. So, um, right, so remember, so I'm still, I'm in the drugs, I'm smoking every, like everything, right? And, uh, but I would always go to churches just to keep my parents happy, right? And it was me and my mate Ding, and this girl Hazel, with a most ginger hair you've ever seen in your life. So we called her the Ginge, right? So me, Ding, and the Ginge, right? She was a bit older. She drove. We went to this summer camp. There was this guy dancing at the front, right? So remember, I'm coming from like treble drum beats, devil, drums, this kind of stuff. And lo and behold, here, here's a rock band at this like worship service and this guy. And he wasn't doing the Pentecostal two-step. He was actually throwing proper shapes. He was dancing. And I was like, this guy, this guy must be on drugs or something like that, right? I was just like, this is hilarious. So I end up talking to him, and I said, Yo, what church do you go to? And he said, it's the River of Life Fellowship Church, and it's from this small town, about 30 minutes outside of Belfast. So that was it. That sat. The summer went by. We go back to school, that kind of thing. I'm in my last year at school. And then on a Sunday, I'm a bit older now. I don't have to go to my parents' church. But just as long as I went to a church, I honored them in that, and, uh, and they were happy. So me, Ding, and the Ginge, we get in the car, and we go, let's go to the River of Life Fellowship Church. We drive down to Dungannon, drive around. It's small, can't find a church. And uh, I see this thing called uh, the Lifeboat Mission. So I get out of the car and uh, just wrap the door. And this Scottish couple come to the door. And I said, listen, I'm really sorry to bother you. But we're trying to find a church called the River of Life Fellowship Church. And they said, oh, funny you should mention that. We don't actually live here. We're over here from Scotland house-sitting uh, for people that, that own this place. But we've just been phoned and invited to this church and given the directions. We can't go, but here they are. And I thought to myself, well, that's pretty strange. But anyway, so I get in the car and then we follow the directions down a country lane in the middle of nowhere. We get to this farm and out the back is a double wide. We walk in awkwardly, kind of like, you know, you walk in at the front and uh, there's this guy dancing again, just with this person with acoustic guitar and then someone on a drum kit. And he's, he's just doing, and I was like, this is hilarious. And then the next minute, this girl gets up and she just starts giving this sort of like prophetic message. And, and everything she said was just a laser beam. You're here for a show. You're this, this, this. And I was like, this is the audible voice of God speaking directly to me right now. And I was like sweating in my seat. So we get in the car. We're driving home. I said to my two friends, no, we need to pull over here. I, I was like, I smoked a lot. And I was like, I'm busting for a smoke. This is freaking really waking me out. I pulled over the side of the road, had a smoke, threw them away and gave my life to the Lord at the side of a motorway. And that was the start of it. That was it. Literally transformed overnight. So that was it. Love it. That's so good. All right, so you get a chance to come to the States uh, every now and then and do this. What, what's, what's your favorite part? What, what, what do you love about getting, you know, you're far away from home, you're meeting people that you've never met before, and reuniting with old friends and helping world orphans do this thing? What, what's the best part for you? So when, when, when the whole go to the city thing all went crazy, like, I, I'm not lying, like, I genuinely like just led worship in church and in youth and in home groups and that stuff. There's no, you know, especially then there's no, like no one was a full-time worship leader. That didn't exist. There was no job. There was none of that. You were just a volunteer. That's all you did. Right. And, um, so then when the song did what it did, you began to come to the States and I got absolutely completely lost. You're sitting on these festivals and there's people just sitting, everyone's just watching, eating burgers and there's like thousands and thousands of people and you're there and you're just used to like leading worship and everyone's digging in and then all of a sudden it's like this kind of, there's the entertainment industry and whatever. And, and I got completely lost in the middle of all of that. Not lost in the sense of like, I just didn't know what I was doing, right? I just had like this one song and then I sang all Matt Redman songs. So that was literally it. Do you know what I mean? So I remember um, one of the guys that kind of helped us out. He said, Aaron, you get booked for what you do. 
And that always stuck with me. And uh, what I do, I feel like, is hopefully help people meet Jesus in, in leading them in worship, right? It's not entertainment in that sense, but it's just like, I want to help people meet Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do what he does best. And I promise that's just not the right answer. I, I, I truly mean that. And I believe that. Um, and so um, you have to answer very quickly, what, what is success? Because if success looks like you too in the music world, or Coldplay, or Newsboys, or and not many people are successful. So for us, it was always about uh, long-lasting and deep relationship with people. And I have to not cry doing this. Um, and that's, as a family, that's what we've always wanted to forge out. Like, can we have people that there's a sense of like it's community it's not like we're just using each other but there's something that is this like it, there's depth in our relationship and how can I be doing this with the same people in 40 years how can we be great friends in the middle of this and then for us as well as a family we wanted to try and model out what a really great relationship looked like with uh, an NGO that is on the ground doing what they do best and uh, and that's, that's been our level of success. So when I come across to the States, the thing I really look forward to the most, honestly, is hanging out with people. I love leading worship, but doing all of that stuff, but connecting with uh, kind of my wider family across the world. I'm going to keep crying here. <laughs> so that, that is, that's really important for us. Genuinely really important is relationship. Well, it's not going to get easier. So you, you see what we're talking about through this Evan series with darkness and um, and you know that uh, you, you experienced some of this growing up in the, in the charismatic church there in, in Ireland, that there is a, a sense that darkness is all bad. And then your family has experienced some of their own darkness. So I, w- I want you to give us a snapshot, a, uh, some picture of some of the darkest things that you've had to deal with. Yeah, so Lily, uh, she's born 25 years old. I was kind of like, and, uh, and so is Jill as well. I don't know if everything... This sounds really arrogant. Everything I sort of was able to put my hand to, I could do, like sports or music or drama or whatever that. And then uh, you have this kid, which is absolutely mega, but then she's sick and I can't fix it. And that, that was absolutely crazy, right? And so Lily was born with cystic fibrosis. It's a genetic thing. You can only treat symptoms. And so for the first time, you're faced with this, oh, wow, okay. I need to go on this whole adventure of uh, healing. What's the Bible say about it? What does he not say about it? Or all these different people's opinions, you know, and what are my own? And, and try and go down that journey of, of really kind of seeing who God is in the middle of all of this stuff and uh, the highs and lows right in the middle of it. Um, and so that has been the journey in our, in our life. It's like this... Uh, just this adventure of, okay, God, where, where are you in the midst of this? When you're in the hospital and Lily's in there as a baby for two weeks and she's on IVs and she's getting, you know, lungs cleared and all this kind of stuff. It's like, God, where, where are you in the middle of all of this? And, uh, and really wrestling that. And I think you'll either be one of two people. You'll either run to or you'll run from. And I think um, I've been definitely blessed with, with my wife, Jill, both of us, or we will run to, where it's like, God, I, I'm, I'm not afraid of the brokenness. I'm not afraid of all the questions. You're certainly not afraid of all the doubt, all of this stuff, far from it. Um, and that, so we always ran to, and in the middle of that, you find a sense of peace. You find a sense of rest. Now, we've never seen like a DNA change at its absolute core. We've never seen that absolute miracle breakthrough, you know, and that would be unbelievable. And we'll still, we'll still, you know, that Jericho song's kind of written around that. We'll still keep pressing. We'll keep going on. But we have seen absolute miracles in our lives where she's never been in hospital, you know, and new treatments and lung functions have exploded in the life and all of this stuff. And, uh, and so that's been the biggest thing in our world where it's like, because I want to fix it. I want to walk out, put my hands to it and fix it, but I can't. And I need to just sit and rest in, in this space, you know, in the tension of the, like, the now and the not yet, you know. Um, and so I just encourage you, you know, where, wherever you're doing this, run to, never run away. Run away doesn't fix anything. It doesn't help anything. But it just always run to, run to the Father. Keep, keep coming back time and time and time again. And, and you know, it's, it's definitely not easy. But, um, yeah, we find peace in the middle of it for sure. And I think the word joy, like deep-rooted joy, I think that's something is like, we carry a deep rooted joy, not this like fickle happiness, you know, oh, it's sunny, great, brilliant, and then a car cuts you up on the road and you're absolutely raging and you're really angry. There's this deep rooted joy in knowing that we're held. And it's, do you know what? It's even more than that. Um, 
I was studying around the tabernacle and the high priest would have wore a breastplate and he had all these stones, which the 12 different stones represented the, uh, the tribes. And it was like, it's so much, there's maybe even this, yeah, we know that we're held in, in, in the Father's hand, right? But there can be this sense where, um, just even in the picture, creative license, that you could be held kind of on an arm's distance. But when the breastplate was there, those stones were at, at his heart. And it's like you're held in the Father's heart. It's even closer than that, you know. And, um, and when you run to, I think that kind of is revealed a bit more in the middle of all the struggle and the pain and the doubt and the grief and all of that stuff. Um, during lockdown, I had a friend, one of my best friends. He was his um, sponsor for mental health and, uh, and he killed himself. He jumped from his apartment block. And in the middle of that, you know, I had to run to, you know, in the middle of all of those questions, in the middle of all of that pain, when you're burying your friend, it same age as me, you know, it was just like, God, you're still faithful. You're still there in the middle of all of this. You know, we live in a broken world, but um, there's there's always that glory of God. Um, in the song, God of the City, if I'm talking too much, just please tell me to shut up. Um, in the song, God of the City, you know, the charismatic world, oh, let your glory fall, you know, and you're like, what's that actually mean? Like, What's the glory of God look like? And it's this word in the Greek called doxa, D-O-X-A. And it's his view or his opinion. And I think that really makes sense because this thing has to work on a rainy Wednesday morning where it's pitch black in the middle of Belfast, right? This thing has to work because if it doesn't, it's just a load of rubbish then, right? And it does. It's what's God's view or opinion in your circumstance that you're walking through? What is that? And if you don't know, it's in the word. Run to the Father. Run to the word. Dig in. Find out what it is, you know? And in the middle of that, he reveals himself for sure. He really does. Um, so yeah, just that, yeah. Anyway, there we go. So what is something that God taught you in the darkness? Uh, whether it was a hospital night or your questions about Lily, uh, you and Jill wondering about the future, even her lifespan. What's something God taught you in the darkness that you would not have learned had you not been through uh, this awful thing? Yeah, so my, my faith and my uh, relationship with the Lord has to be so much more deeper rooted in Him rather than an experience. Does that make sense? So I can get up and so I wake, I wake up at the Havercates and I walk out. There's Pikes Peak and it's sunny. It's December. It's like, what is actually going on? It's 79 degrees. It's amazing, right? This is a really ethereal, absolutely amazing experience, right? And it's like there's so much happiness and joy in the middle of all of that. But then the flip side of it is then something else goes wrong in life, right? You do have, you have your friend that, that did what he did, right? And it's like, that's really not good, okay? My relationship has to be based in something so much more than just an emotional state at any given moment. And I find that when we journey through darkness, when we journey through these moments um, where brokenness is extremely present, that is, that's definitely more, it's, it's definitely more established in your walk with the Lord. And, uh, and, I, and I, think, I think that more than anything, that's probably the biggest thing. Because I'd always, everything I put my hand to was always, it was good fun and it always sort of worked, right? And then this thing that I couldn't fix happened. But probably at that time, I was mile wide, inch deep. And now it's actually like, okay, well, when this happens, this is how we respond. It's God, we know that you're for us and you're with us. And when that is true, I pray this all the time, that we know that nothing can ever successfully stand against us. And so it's much more deep-rooted uh, rather than just kind of any emotional state at any time. Emotions are important, but his, his truth is truth regardless of anything else. Truth is truth regardless. Amen. Hey, Amen. Aaron, I'm so glad that you're here. And Thanks then, for having me. And then we get to be included in your story now, and we do feel like family with you. And uh, do me a favor, just thank Aaron for sharing this. Thanks, Tim. We'll give him just a tiny break. He's coming right back up to close the service uh, with the whole crew. His thoughts about darkness and running to God take us right in to Psalm 139, which is really kind of where we're focused in just for a few minutes. The psalmist, the psalm written by Dave, David, he says this, you have searched me, Lord, and you, you know me. This, this idea that God is searching for you, it's the same experience that God had in the garden with Adam and Eve. He, he went hunting. Where are you? Where are you? And if you catch Aaron's really key message there, that when you're in darkness, uh, invite God into it or run to him. Don't, don't run from him. Don't hide from him. Then you understand what is meant in the whole context of Psalm 139. This is exactly what God does. He searches. 
It's almost as if God is at the edge of a dark forest that you're hiding in, and that dark forest is your heart and your, your hiddenness and your secrets and your shame and your fear and your anxiety and your depression, and God steps into that forest, and he will shove the brush away. He'll walk through the dark. He's hunting for you. He wants to know you, and that's what David says. You know me. Then a bit later in the same psalm, it says this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Can you imagine why in the world David would want to flee God's presence? Why would God be that to him? I mean, he's a man after God's own heart. And yet, in this psalm, David says, I, I can't go anywhere when you're not there. I, I'd like to for a few minutes. Why is it? He writes this, I think, for the same reason I avoid mirrors when I step out of the shower. There's some things you just don't want to see. You know what I mean? I just, I just want to walk by and get some clothes on, for goodness sakes, because I'll have to face the, the ugly truth of what you know, my diet has done to me over the last, I don't know, 10 years. Um, this is what David is saying. There's some things I don't even want to look at. It's the feeling that Aaron and Jill had in the night in the hospital when they're wondering what is the lifespan of our daughter? Will the medicine work? Do we want other kids? And David says, I want to run. Don't run from, don't hide. And he goes on to say this. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. But don't miss this. This idea of darkness. If I make my bed in the depths, what does it say? You were there. I mean, many of us have been taught that God isn't there. In fact, the very Hebrew word there, the word depths is shoal, or what we have maybe translated to mean sheol. It's this place where the dead live. It, it is, in fact, the King James just says hell. It just says hell. This is our understanding of hell. You and I have been taught all of our lives that, well, hell is just the absence of God. And yet David says something incredibly different than that. Even if I go there, Lord, you are there. There is no place that God is not. That list of issues or circumstances or problems that you might be dealing with, we've looked at for a couple weeks, God is present in that. He, he has not run from you. He has not distanced himself. He is not punishing you. He is not hoping that you will get your life straightened out, come back to him, and not have any of that to be part of your story. God is present in it, and he is there. There's no place that he isn't, including the darkest darkness. Then David says, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me, I want to hide, and the light become night around me, if I say that, even the darkness will not be dark to you, God. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your experience is. I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know where your anxiety comes from. I don't know if depression is creeping in the same way the darkness of the season is creeping in. And I don't know if you feel like in the middle of all of that that God isn't in the middle of it. But God is saying through this psalm, through Aaron's story, through the entire Advent season, invite me in. Just invite me in. Just let me be a part of it. We seek him. We seek him when it's dark so that he can teach us all of the hidden treasures that can only be found in the darkness. If you missed the adult Christmas dinner Thursday, then you missed Steve Rawlings' incredible story about his cancer journey. You will hear from everyone who experiences any measure of darkness that God is in the middle of it. You're invited into the story, and he will meet you in that spot. And so whatever darkness is creeping in, let's just invite him into it right now. Uh, I'm going to pray and lead you through that prayer. Team's going to come back up. We're going to worship as we leave this place. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, we are grateful for Aaron's story, his family, and what you're doing through he and Jill and the kids, the girls. Lord, we as a church family, we, we pray for the girls. We pray for Lily. We ask that you would continue to heal and guide and direct and knit back together and we, we do pray for the miracle because we believe you're a God of miracles. We pray that her DNA would be restructured so that 
Her lungs can fill with air like they never have before. But Lord, even in our darkness, we still seek you. And we invite you, each one of us, everyone online and in this room, into our darkness, our selfishness, our anxiety, our fears. Lord, our anger, our discontentment. When love is absent, Lord, we sense that we have shoved you away and that we're hiding, covered, just like Adam. And so you come into this moment and you just simply say in your gentle, thoughtful whisper, where are you? We find you. For Lord, even the darkness isn't darkness to you. So just right now, just invite God in. To the place that you don't think he has any part of. To the place that you don't want to face or see or look at. To the stuff that you have stuffed down deep in shame and fear and hiddenness. It's a courageous prayer. It's a prayer that requires honesty on your part. And you can even pray it with fear. But remember, God's perfect love will cast out that fear. He comes into this dark place with the light of his love. And you find out that everything that you've been afraid of, everything that you have hidden, he already knew. So right now we invite you during this Advent season into the darkness. Help us to do so with open hands and an open heart. Help us to do so with full surrender knowing that you will meet us in this place. And so Lord, now we worship you with these words and these lyrics reminding us of who Jesus is. We pray all of this in the powerful name of your Son. We say together, amen.